as we spend some time in the Scriptures, seeking to hear what the Spirit is saying to the church today. And we continue our studies in the book of Jonah. We come to chapter 3. This tonight is our 11th study. I want us to think about Jonah's obedience. So Jonah chapter 3, just four verses, the first four verses for the sake of time. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now Nineveh was a very important city. A visit required three days. On the first day, Jonah started into the city. He proclaimed... Forty more days, and Nineveh will be overturned. In our last study in Jonah, we spent time reflecting upon the way God deals with man. And we contemplated what I consider to be one of the most sublime phrases in all of Scripture. A phrase found there in chapter 3 and verse 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Oswald J. Smith, that great North American missiologist, once said, No one has the right to hear the gospel twice, while there remains someone who has not heard it once. This thought-provoking statement became something of a slogan for a vast missionary enterprise. However, whilst I'm generally a great admirer of the writings of Oswald J. Smith, I have a number of his volumes on my shelves, I have something of an issue with this particular statement. It is probably more clever than it is accurate. You see, in my experience... Most people haven't heard the gospel once until they've heard it twice. (laughs) Let's be absolutely honest. Most of us would never have been converted if our destinies were determined by our response to hearing the gospel the first time. And so bless God tonight that the word of the Lord came to Jonah A second time. For the word of the Lord came to Doug Atherton a second time. Thank God today, friends, that he comes a second time, and arguably a third time, and a fourth time, again and again and again and again. He extends his grace. Though we don't deserve it, friends, he continues to extend his grace. God comes a second time. This is the way God deals with men. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Hallelujah. We are now clearly in the second half of the book of Jonah. Yet, my friends, unsurprisingly, there are still yet more lessons for us to learn. And there are at least three lessons in these opening verses of chapter 3. So with a close eye on the clock... Here goes. Three lessons. Firstly, although God came to Jonah a second time, 
notice that his command to Jonah remained the same. Go. The first time God came to Jonah in chapter 1 and verse 2, God's command was, Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it. The second time God came to Jonah in chapter 3 and verse 2, we read it together, His command was, Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim against it. God's command was go the first time. God's command was go the second time time. Friends, some like to think that God sort of outgrows His Word. Let me try to explain this. There has emerged in recent times a theory known as process theology. Process theology. The idea is that God grows That God is so enriched by His creation that He learns from His creation and we become, as His created ones, kind of co-creators with Him. This philosophy claims that God speaks in different ways at different times, even if it comes to repudiating what He may have done once before. And so this philosophy, this process theology would suggest that what God was doing in the 16th century was one thing when he was using Calvin and, and of course, Luther and, and, and Zwingli and the other reformists. But what God is doing today in the 21st century is something entirely different. Today, God perhaps is not so much consumed with uh, a reformation per se, but with with matters of of ecology, for instance. Or God is concerned with, with racial issues. Or God is concerned with speaking mainly on social issues. The idea that then is that God is not interested in the same things He was interested in previous generations. And so this teaching, this process theology posits that God is growing, as it were, as we grow, as as creation progresses. And perhaps God today is saying something different than He was saying before. Now, at first glance, this is a very clever notion indeed. In fact, if you follow the idea through logically... It's kind of claiming that there's no absolutes. There are no eternal verities by which the church should be guided. The fact is that theology today, and I speak predominantly about contemporary theology, has moved so far from the simplicity of the New Testament that it has become becoming absolutely absurd, truly ridiculous. Contemporary theology has caused the modern church to become preoccupied with philosophy and with reason. And consequently, the church is involved in everything, in everything it seems, but the great commission given to us in the New Testament. This is the problem with process theology. It claims God has moved on. Once we maintain 
that it is crucial to be contemporary, to be vogue, to be relevant to the expense of the ragged truth of the gospel, my friends, then our days are finished. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. It was the same word he'd heard the first time. What consumed the heart of God the first time consumed the heart of God the second time. God hadn't moved on. Beloved, the orders that God gave the first century church were the same orders that He gave the 16th century church. There are the same orders that He gives the 21st century church. We need to learn the lesson that when God says go, He means go. I believe many within the confines of the Christian church have grieved the Holy Spirit by not going. By not doing those things that God in Christ has plainly told us to. We have not taken seriously, for example, the Great Commission to go into all the world, Mark 16, verse 15, and do what? Preach. Preach the gospel to every creature. Now, many of us who pride ourselves on our Reformed traditions might be guilty, perhaps, of hiding behind the doctrine of predestination to justify our lack of zeal. Our lack of going. We muse, don't we? Oh, God has His elect, and His elect will be saved. And therefore, we do nothing. And yet God, His command remains the same. Go. I'm reminded of the Baptist moderator who rebuked the young William Carey, who of course became uh, a missionary pioneer to India. And he rebuked him with these words, Young man, sit down, sit down. When God is ready to save the heathen, He will do it with or without your help and mine. <laughs> now we laugh at that, but there are many who are sat in pews throughout the known world today who think just the same. I know this, I've met them. <laughs> Meanwhile, God uses everybody else to save the elect, but us. <laughs> While we are going our merry way, justifying ourselves, perhaps even <sighs> congratulating ourselves for, for our orthodoxy, for our ability to toe the line on these wonderful biblical truths, whilst we go about our merry business doing that, God has been using the Pentecostals. God has been using the Plagiarians. God has been using New Wine Cymru or the Messy Church to save the elect. And we sit back and we congratulate ourselves. Ah, but we're the Reformed. <laughs> Our theology is where every I is dotted, every T is crossed. And God says, go. Although God came to Jonah a second time, my friends, the command remained the same. 
go. Secondly, notice that not only are God's orders the same, go to Nineveh, but so is the method. God said the first time, go to Nineveh and preach. God said the second time, go to Nineveh and preach. Preach in the authorized version, the NIV, proclaim. Proclaim. We might wish that there was another way by which God would save men. We might wish that God would prefer to use a different method. We might wish that God had chosen to save men by wisdom or by reason. We might wish that God would choose to save men by signs and wonders, by proofs, by demonstrations. Maybe by gimmicks, by clever argument. We might wish that God would save men by our organization, or by flashy personalities, or by salesmanship. We might wish that God would save people through entertainment or high-level conferences. But no, my friends. The method that God chose when He sent Jonah all those centuries ago is the same method He chooses for today. Preach. Preach. Paul noted in 1 Corinthians 1 verse 21, For since in the wisdom of God the world through its wisdom did not know Him, God was pleased, listen, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. God has decreed, my friends, that men and women, boys and girls, will be saved by preaching. Even foolish preaching. Almost certainly, in my case, foolish preaching. My friends, if ever God visits us again here in Wales, He will do it through the phenomenon of preaching. Now then, it might just be that some of us are now sat back snugly in our seats thinking to ourselves, yes, pastor, yes, that's great, because I believe in good preaching. Well, I'm afraid I'm going to have to disappoint you. You see, the preaching, the proclaiming, is something we, every one of us, are commanded to do. Jesus said, who? To whom? To the church. Go into all the world and preach. Was he saying that just to the pastor? Not at all. Was he saying it just to the pastor and the worship team? Not at all. Was he saying it to the pastor, the worship team and the evangelist? Tag them on. They've got to earn their living somehow, haven't they? Not at all. Go into all the world and preach. To every single Christian... This is the commission. Dodge it though we try, we will every one of us be one day called to account. So yes, we love good biblical preaching. Does that get us off the hook? Actually, no. (laughs) If we're not careful, good biblical preaching will heap burning coals on our heads if we continue to sit in our seats and do 
nothing. Nothing. I would not want to embarrass you. But may I ask you a question? Have you led a soul to Jesus Christ in the last six months? That's a tough one. The last 12 months then. Have you led a soul to Christ in the last five years? Have you ever led a soul to Christ? For my friends, that is the only reason why the church remains. <laughs> yes, we gather and of course enjoy each other's company as we worship God, looking forward to His glorious return or the call home. But the commission is, the great commission, not pastors, but God's, Go into all the world and preach. Why, why do we preach? In isolation? No, 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 not at all. We preach that men and women, boys and girls, might be born again of the Spirit of God. It's interesting. God could have said to Jonah, go to Nineveh and walk and live a godly life before them. But he didn't. He said, go and preach. I grant you, my friends, God can, I'm sure, God does use a godly life. But when we use this argument as a defense, I fear it is more of an excuse. You say, my friends, that, Pastor, I'm not called to preach. Tell me, who told you that? Who told you that? God didn't tell you that. We don't need to be articulate. We don't need to be orators. We don't need to have completed a college course in homiletics. Uh, we don't need to be a theological graduate. Friends, to preach, to proclaim, we just need to be obedient. Has not God promised if we open our mouths, He will fill them? Yes, He has. Those who are filled with the Holy Spirit. The method God has chosen, friends, is that we, He saves souls through the proclamation, the preaching of the gospel. And that's not just my job. You say, but preaching is the pastor's job. Really, friends? Really? Who told you that? Please, who told you that? Actually, if you want a, a Pauline understanding of a pastor's job, a pastor is to teach. When the Apostle Paul uses the word poimain, pastor, alongside another word, an adjective, if you like, he uses the word teach. He never uses the word preach. Isn't that interesting? Pastors are called to teach. Teach who what? Teach the church to preach. To equip us with everything good that we might be able to do his will. God's great commission to each and every Christian is to go into all the world and preach. God's method today, my friends, is the same method as in Jonah's day. The same method as in Jesus' day. The same method as in Peter and Paul's day. The same method as in John Wesley's and George Whitfield's day. It is the same chosen method. Preach. Proclaim. People are not going to be saved until they are told, my friends. 
I often wonder why God does things. Why would God send Trisha on holiday to, to, to Scotland only to strike her down, it seems, with, with sickness? Now God's good, isn't he? God knows what he's doing. Because on the way back, I understand, she preached on two occasions. Hallelujah. Now, who would have, who would have planned that? I wouldn't have planned it, but God knows. And Trisha had two divine appointments, didn't you, Trish? And in the hospital, oh yes, so three divine appointments to preach. Isn't that amazing? And Trisha, I'm sure, was obedient to that call. Three hours. Hallelujah. Isn't that amazing? And he was an astrophysicist. Hallelujah. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Paul was writing to Timothy, of course, when he said that. But my friends, it's the Holy Spirit writing to you and I and our hearts. And he says the same. Preach the word. Proclaim. Be prepared in season and out of season. Because, friends, if people are going to be saved, that's the method God has chosen. And he's not going to change his mind because we think we know better. Because we don't. Finally, you'll be glad to hear. Notice that God only owns one kind of preaching. This is important. He only owns one kind of preaching. That is the preaching that he has given. Chapter 3, verse 1 into 2. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim. Proclaim what? The message I give you. Friends, we are not given a choice of what to preach. Can I tell you candidly, I do not have a choice what I'm going to preach here in Koipenman Community Church from week to week. I preach what God gives me to preach. And sometimes I have to say that I tremble when I anticipate preaching it. Nevertheless, I preach what God has given me to preach. Not always going to please our ears, friends. Not always going to tickle our fancies. But it's the Word of God. The Word of God is living and active, is sharper than any double-edged sword. Sharper than a sword. My friends, what does that tell you about the Word of God? What does a sword do? It penetrates. It penetrates. Even to dividing soul and spirit, joints of marrow. There are manifestations with the preaching, isn't there? Even the dividing joints of marrow. There are physical manifestations. Praise God. Hallelujah. And we bless Him for it. But there are spiritual ones. The pulpit is not a private platform for any person to propagate his or her particular views. The only kind of preaching that God owns, and thus the only kind of preaching that God blesses, is the message He gives. I fear that the Christian church and the free West in these early years of the 21st century have strayed from the message he gives. Because the message he gives has become unpalatable, perhaps. 
We find ourselves having to explain away, don't we, the dynamics of the gospel. It's, it's too difficult, too demanding. And so we kind of water the message down. So we try to make it more palatable. We try to make it easier for people to understand, easier for people to grasp. And we've invited liberalism to invade the church. All over these valleys, churches have closed because they've become liberal. You see, they tried to preach to please. I understand that. I understand it. I remember my first pastoral charge, 1996 in Hesham, Free Methodist Church. Oh, the one thing you want to do as a young pastor is, is keep the people happy. And so the temptation to preach so as to please is huge. My friends, God raise up men and women of God who will preach the Word of God because it is the Word of God. Not concerned with how other people will feel. Oh, I didn't want to hurt their feelings. It's not my responsibility how you feel. It's my responsibility to preach the Word of God. And if you go away upset, it's not Doug Atherton that's upset you. Don't think that for one minute, friends. If I've brought the Word of God, it's the Word of God that's upset you. It's the Word of God that's cut deep into your life and exposed something perhaps or brought a sense of discipline or brought a sense of warmth and and joy and anticipation. It's God's Word. But I fear we've invited liberalism into our churches because we're preaching to please. God said to Jonah, preach what I give you. It's fascinating, isn't it? What did God what did God give Jonah? Was it an easy message for the folk of Nineveh to receive? Was it going to cheer their hearts and make their day a delight? Oh my gosh, no. What did he what did he preach? Forty more days and Nineveh will be overturned. If I was Jonah, I wouldn't be that keen bringing that message, would you? Would you be keen? I wouldn't be keen. I would do my best to to avoid that. Maybe to to put some flowers, some bells and whistles on it. Just to to make it sound a little easier to the ear. Wouldn't you? No, no, no. He brought the word of God. The word of God was a tough word. It's a tough word. My friends, the word of God is tough. You cannot preach the gospel in its surety, in its entirety, without offending you tell someone they're a sinner going to hell, what are you going to do? Arguably, you're going to offend. However, you might sow a seed in a heart that is desiring after some purpose, some direction, some meaning. But we flower it up, don't we? We flower it up. Make it sound nice. And liberalism has invaded the Christian church. Friends, there was once a time in this country when members of parliament would seek the counsel of Christians. Gone are those days. Why is that? Because the church has little or nothing to offer. We need to get back to basics and preach the unadulterated word of God For what it is, preach what God has given us to preach. 
And trust that God knows what he's doing. Because he does. <laughs> and he has said, has he not said, my word will not return unto me void. We wonder why God isn't blessing the preaching of the gospel. Or the preaching of the churches. Maybe what is being preached isn't the word of God at all. Because God has promised, my word will not return unto me void. But will accomplish all that I have purposed. What's God's purpose in the preaching of the word? The salvation of souls. What's God's purpose in the preaching of the word? The extension of his kingdom. What's God's purpose in the preaching of the word? The hastening of the wonderful return of Jesus Christ. They are God's purposes. My friends, it's difficult to anticipate, to contemplate, but that's the reality. Someone has once said, some people are made by the times, other people are made for the times. In these days, I fear that our church is being made by the times. However, our church should be made in Christ for the times. Like Esther, as Mordecai exhorted her. It might just be Esther that you've come to this place at this time for such a time as this. My friends, let us not be made by the times, manipulated by political correctness and other such arguments. Let us be made by Christ for the time. There is not much which I would agree in the writings of Harry Emerson Fosdick. However, I love the title of one of his books. Fosdick wrote a book, It's a Great Time to Be Alive. I think if we're Christians, it's a great time to be alive. I hear often preaching that's quite negative, majoring on the reality that here in the free West, we, we are now in a post-Christian era. That's a truism, I grant you, but that excites me. You know, as a as a nation, we were missionary pioneers in the 19th century. And we were the greatest missionary sending nation in the world, even greater than North America at the time, the United Kingdom. And missionaries went from these shores all over the world. And you know what they said? It was uh, exciting to preach the gospel to those who had never heard it. Never heard it. Because they were just so open to receive. Countless thousands came to Christ. We now here in the UK, we've lost our missionary mojo, haven't we? And we've become a mission field. We call it globalization. Those to whom we went with the gospel are now coming back to the United Kingdom. I tell you something, we welcome them. Serena, we welcome you. Eastern Europe, missionary here in our midst. Do you realize that? And we could, sit, we could sit snugly in our pews and say, well, we don't need missionaries from Eastern Europe. Ex-communist countries, what do they know? My friends, we've lost our missionary mojo. They've got it. I want it back, Serena. I want it back. I believe these are exciting days. Because yes, we are now endeavoring to communicate the gospel to people who are ignorant of it. Preaching the gospel in Triathlon in 2017 is like preaching the gospel in, in, in the Congo in the 19th century. People are ignorant. The name Jesus, an expletive. No more, no less. It's exciting, isn't it? Because the prospect is that people are just simply longing 
to hear the wonderful truth of the Word of God. The Word of God came to Jonah a second time. Bless God. He's so patient with us, isn't he? The Word of God has come to Koipen Mine Community Church a second time. Hallelujah. What's the Word? Go. Oh, hang on a minute. That's not new. No, it ain't. It's the same Word. Go and preach. Me? 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 Lowly little me? Yes. Lowly little you. Preach what? The message that God has given us? The wonderful gospel message that's transforming lives all over the world. Oh, yeah, it is. But not here. Why? We fall into liberalism. We've watered the message down. We've sought to make it palatable. And we've taken out the cutting edge of the sword of the Spirit. Preach the word that God has given us, friends. We don't need to apologize for it. And my friends, God knows what he's doing. And he's made a promise. My word will not return unto me void. Hallelujah. But we'll accomplish. We'll accomplish. Let's find, let's refind our missionary mojo here in the free west in these days. Because men and women, boys and girls of Trachan and Pontypridd and South Wales, they are dependent upon us recapturing it. This is the Word of God. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for these words, these scriptures. They penetrate our hearts. There's no question about that. And we find it uncomfortable. We're dodging around in our pews. Well, but there's nowhere for us to go. <laughs> this is the Word of God. Forgive us, Father. We have become distracted with so many things. We've become philosophical. We've become politically correct. We've, be, we, we've become in vogue. Many things. But we, we're not preaching the gospel message. Have mercy, Lord. As Kendrick once said in that hymn, Have mercy, Lord. Forgive us, Lord. Restore us, Lord. Revive your church again. Let justice flow like rivers and righteousness like a never-failing stream. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.